First Peter chapter two, verses one and two. I'll just start right at the beginning. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, that's all the things we're to put aside. Now he's speaking to Christians here. A lost man needs to come to Christ and, and be forgiven. A saved man can by the power of the Lord and by His grace lay these things aside. Lay all those things aside. And here's what we're looking at today as newborn babes. Anybody ever seen a newborn babe? I know you have. A lot of parents here. Okay? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Okay, that word desire means to greatly desire. It means to crave. We've talked about this word before. It's not like you're kind of full and you really shouldn't eat anything else, but you kind of want some ice cream. You know, you kind of want some more french fries off the plate there. You really feel full and you could take them or leave them. This is not what this word means. To greatly desire to crave. And if you've seen a baby that's hungry, they're not polite about it. They're gonna not gonna ask please and say, What time is supper? A new baby, when they're hungry, they're hungry. Their body is craving it and they're longing for it. And so they're turning purple and screaming and hollering and wanting that milk. And they want it now, and it doesn't matter if it's convenient for you or not. And so that's the picture. So that's how, as newborn babes, Peter is saying to Christians, that's how you're to desire God's word. As newborn babes, Crave the Word of God. Why? That you may grow thereby. Why? Because that is our nourishment. God's Word is what nourishes us. He says, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Sincere just means undeceitful, unadulterated Word of God. Because that alone is what nourishes that new man, that spiritual man. Okay? We need food for our bodies, but we need the Word of God the sincere milk or the unadulterated, unperverted, undeceitful milk and meat of the Word to feed that spiritual man. Nothing else will do it. So, so a lot of uh, church paraphernalia and a lot of stuff that surrounds the church is not going to take the place of the, the Word of God. Nothing is designed to take that place. God hasn't given anything other than His Word to be what we feast upon. To feed that spiritual man. And we need to go to it. He says long for it. Crave it. Greatly desire the Word of God. It alone is going to nourish us. Oftentimes it convicts us. Have you ever read the Bible or heard it preached or spoken to you? And it convicted you. That's a good thing by the way. It doesn't condemn. Jesus said I didn't come to condemn. Okay? And He said that He's, he's who is in Christ is is not does not come under condemnation. Okay, condemning is just bad news with no hope in it. You're just lousy. God doesn't just tell us we're lousy and when put a period there. You're doomed. Period. You're a loser. Period. God never does that. We just feel heavy and we don't know why. We feel down. We feel depressed. We do feel discouraged. We want to take our own life. We don't feel like worth life's worth living. We feel like. We're worthless. That doesn't come from God. God convicts us of sin. He shows us specifically what it is. If we're lost, He says you need Jesus. My Son. Okay, He loves you and He died for you. If we're saved and He's dealing with us with pride or whatever it may be, He convicts us. That's a good thing. God's Word always, uh, oftentimes convicts us. I will say this, but it always speaks clearly to us and always speaks the truth to us. 
Even if we're not being convicted, maybe we're just being encouraged. But it speaks to wherever we are in our life, wherever you are. If I'm immature, God's going to speak to that immaturity. If I'm unchristlike in certain area of my life, which I am, God's word will speak to that. He's always speaking the truth to us. But guess what? On top of that, he'll always have a hope that goes with it. He'll never just point out our sin and then walk away. The devil can do that. The devil can say, you just lied. Liars go to hell. See ya. You know, who, that's not going to help anybody. God will deal with us and then he will, he will bring us to the answer to that. The hope for that. God's word is always going to have hope with it. Hope for your failure. Hope for our pathetic state that we might be in spiritually, whatever it may be. But I'll tell you this, back to that quote at the beginning, people for the, mo- for the most part, this is not a blanket condemnation, but in America we see it. People don't want the truth as a whole. There, most people don't want the truth. They may want some truth. They might, may want some little tidbits from the Bible. They might, might want some, some Scriptures that they like a lot about don't judge or God is love and things like that. They want certain things, but they don't want the truth. You know what I'm saying? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. They, they don't want the truth. They don't want sound doctrine. Remember, sound doctrine um, just means healthy teaching. It's sound. But sound doctrine also means that it's personal. Sound doctrine means it deals with my life. Sound doctrine is not just what I preach to you, but I'm exempt from it. Sound doctrine is going to deal with my life as well. Healthy, sound doctrine. People don't want that for the most part. They don't desire the deep searchings of God in their heart to really go over them and and to take the time to look through their hearts and lives and deal with them. Most people don't want that. So they want a quick band-aid, spiritual band-aid, pat me on the head, send me on on my way. People don't want God to look into their lives and consciences, but a wise man does. And a man of God does. We're going to desire that. Amen? We're going to desire that. We're always going to desire that. And I want God to come near to me and deal with me. And David said, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in His Word, that's what we're talking about, do I hope. So there's hope in it. I wait for the Lord. And in His Word, do I hope. And so I'm just talking to y'all this morning. Just talking straight with what the Lord's given me. Don't settle. Don't you settle. For anything less than that. I'm talking about the deep dealings of God in your life. Don't settle for less than that. Don't come partway and then stop. Partway in Christ and then stop. Partway into the Word of God and then you find something you didn't really like the way that sounded. Or like I said, it hit too close to home. So we'll skip that chapter. We'll go back to something I like better. Let God have His work in your life. Don't you settle for anything less than that. Don't be content with what I would call fairy tale or just feel good sermons and messages. And I don't ever want to be that kind of a pastor that would preach those, but the world is filled with that and our country is filled with it. Don't seek out in the church world simply what makes you feel good or feel happy. I know that sounds contrary to what if you went to a counselor or a life coach or one of these kind of people, they would say, do whatever makes you happy. Do what you feel good about. Well, the Bible says our man's heart is wicked, deceitfully wicked. 
Who can know it? And so I don't want to just do what my heart's telling me to do. I want to do what the Word of God's telling me to do. I want to do what the truth is telling me to do. I want to do what the Holy Ghost is telling me to do. And I've got to give Him time to deal with my life to do that. Don't settle for just what makes you feel good right now or feel happy. Your spiritual man, and so would mine, will literally starve to death. If that's all we filled ourselves with. You know, if you went to some impoverished third world country where, the, where there's, people are malnourished, you wouldn't bring them cotton candy you know, and, and Skittles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all boxes and crates of it. And they would just eat that all the time. They would starve to death. They literally would starve to death even on that stuff. They have to have nourishment. Real nourishment. Save that stuff for dessert. Okay? But we, that spiritual man of ours will starve to death if we don't come to the deep things of God and let Him give us the sincere milk and the sincere meat of His Word. Now we know the passage, and I'll just paraphrase it to you. The Apostle Paul, when he was about to be martyred for the Lord in Rome, right at the end of his life, he's in prison in Rome, he's writing this epistle, 2 Timothy, he's writing it to his young um, uh, minister that he's raised up, Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus, and he says, Timothy, I charge you before, I charge you. It's the last chapter of the last epistle he wrote before he had his head chopped off. I charge you before God who's going to judge the quick and the dead. He says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Okay, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap unto themselves teachers, having engineers, and will turn their ears from the truth and they will be turned unto fables. We don't receive the truth and the deep things of God and the truth of His Word then what we're going to be left with is fluff. It is not going to nourish that spiritual man. We'll be turned onto fables. And fables are fables. They're make-believe. They're myths. They're all about God, perhaps. Christian fables. But they're not God. And they're not the truth. And so, uh, feel-good sermons cannot feed that new man. Only the sincere milk and meat of the Word brought to bear intensely upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit, amen, can produce that growth in Christ, the victory in Christ, or the things you're longing for in your life that are not what they should be. Do you believe that God can help you? He can. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you would name and say, well, I need this. It could be something in the natural. I need a better job. But even something deeper in your heart. I need to get over this bitterness that's in my heart. I'm bitter or I'm angry all the time. Uh, or I'm depressed all the time. I put on a smile for people at work and the people around me, but inside I'm about to lose it. Whatever is in your life, God is the answer for it. Let Him deal with you. You don't have to look anywhere else. You don't have to go to a counselor. Go to the counselor. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Bible says. And let God, by His Word, deal with us Thoroughly, I want to give a quote from Martin Luther. Now, this is centuries ago. Martin Luther to another young minister. He said, so preach. This was his advice that he gave to the other minister. So preach that those who do not fall out with their sins, they fall out with thee or fall out with you. Under pretense of drawing our hearers by love, 
some of us often rock the cradle of carnal security in which they sleep. And that should never be the case. He's simply saying we, we, we think we love people so much that we don't want to tell them the truth because we might offend them. We might hurt them. I'm talking about the truth of God's Word. And so we, we, it's a pretense that it's because of love we do that. But really, instead of preaching the truth and letting God save them or letting God deal with their lives and do the full work that He can gloriously do, we just kind of give them a little spiritual fluff and pep talks and rock the cradle that they're in, but they don't know the Lord. They're never going to really be helped by that. And uh, we, we should never forget that, that we, should, we should insist upon that, y'all, the truth. Insist upon it from your pastor. But don't insist upon it only from your pastor. Insist upon it in your own life. The meat of the Word. The deep things of God. Go from milk to, to more solid food to the, to the meat of God's Word. And let Him feed you and let Him deal with your life. Don't forget that God's children are led by God's Spirit. That's what the Word says, right? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And just real quickly, God's Spirit is holy. And God's Spirit glorifies the Son of God. And God's Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And you know where He directs us? Where the Holy Spirit directs us? To the Bible. The Holy Ghost, if it's really God, He's not going to lead you and say, oh, I just felt the Spirit move me to Hinduism. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's some spirit, okay? Or the Holy Spirit led me to this or that. The Holy Spirit's going to lead me in the truth. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead me right to this Word. If, if that's really the Holy Ghost, you know those goosebumps you feel in the back of your neck and your hands, hair standing straight up when somebody spoke or sang a song, if it's really God, He's going to convict me. He's going to deal with my life. He's going to lead me in the truth. The Spirit of truth will always do that. And so, but He'll always, as He deals with us, He's also going to, Holy Ghost is also going to lead us to Christ. He's like going to speak to us in His Word. He's going to pick us up basically and carry us to the Lord. This is where you need to go. So He shows us ourselves, and He shows us the Lord and He brings us to the Lord. He brings us by His goodness to repentance, the Bible says. And then what do we find when we get to Christ? When we come to our Redeemer and our friend, when the Lord leads us there, we find forgiveness of sins. We find mercy. We find the cleansing blood of Jesus to wash us clean. I don't care how bad you've sinned, how often you've sinned, how grossly you and I may have sinned. Even as Christians, the Lord, by His Word and by His Spirit, will direct me to Christ. Where the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? But we have to crave it, y'all. We have to crave, strongly desire, not the fluff of what I call the fluff of the Word or the church, but the truth. Turn to one more passage. And I'd like you to, to read it with me if you would. Actually, I think we're going to have two more. Turn to John 16. John chapter 16. Now this is very soon before Jesus was going to go to the cross and die and He wouldn't physically be with His disciples anymore after the, after the ascension. And so He's given them some last minute teachings and instructions specifically about the Holy Spirit. I want you to read John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, that means necessary, needful, for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, 
that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He shall guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. We'll just stop right there. I say thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the, He does that. He brings that conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But many in the church don't want the Holy Spirit. They like the thought of the Holy Spirit, but they don't really want the Holy Spirit. They want something like the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, when He comes, He'll reprove. That means convince or convict of sin and the righteousness of God and the judgment of God to come. And people in the church today, a lot, of, a lot of people want something like the Holy Spirit. They want a mood in their church. They want a feeling. They want a feeling that something's exciting and something's happening. They want to get goosebumps. They want to get a tear in their eye when so-and-so shares a certain story. And God can do all those things. But people want that rather than the real Spirit of God dealing thoroughly with their lives. They want something like the Holy Ghost. They do want a spiritual pep talk, but not the real spirit of holiness. Because that's one of the names of the comfort, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord. And so they, because they want something like that, but they don't want Him, they're left with malnourishment. Their lives are left unchanged. Because only the Lord can do it when He comes. He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And one of the definitions of reprove there in verse uh, in verse eight, when he has come, he'll reprove. That means convince or convict or expose. But also one of the definitions it's given, it means to bring to shame. And you think, well, why would I want to be brought to shame? If God, if the Holy Spirit's convicting me of my sin, and one of the definitions means to bring to shame, why would God want to do that? We might ask, and we might ask, why would I want that to be done to my life? And the answer is, is found in the Lord, because the one who brings us to shame about our sin and face to face with our sin, and it is really bad, we need to see it's really bad. I need to see my sin is really bad. It's not just a little blip on the radar. It's not just, oh, it's a little weakness. I've had it since I was young. He wants us to see our sin that it's bad. Paul says that we would see sin as being exceedingly sinful. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that and kind of does bring us to shame about over it, He quickly says, it's okay though. Come to Jesus. It's okay. I want you to see how bad it is, your sin. I want you to see how bad you are without Jesus. But it's okay because I, the same one who's bringing us to shame over our sin is going to carry us in the next breath to the one who can forgive us of our sin, who loves us despite our sin. He loved us while we were yet sinners. That same one who can forgive us. He doesn't want to just shame us publicly and make us 
ashamed like that. He wants us to deal with it in our own hearts to see you're not so good as you think, Randy. You stand up behind that pulpit, but you're not nearly as much like me as you think you are. And He wants me to sit there long enough to see it. And I say, God, I'm gross. This is horrible. This, this whatever it is, this depression, this, this pride, whatever it may be, this, this uh, anger, to see how, see, and then say, it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cleanse you. Come confess it to me. And it's before the words are out of my mouth, He's already forgiven me and cleansing me. Say, okay now, it's a new day. Let's go on. Let's go on. He wants to do that and help us. And I, I thank the Lord. Now, I'm just going to be bringing this to a close, y'all. But the sinner must be brought to a place of that type of acknowledgement of our sin. The Christian has to be brought to that place where we really deal thoroughly and let the Lord deal with us thoroughly. Amen? Everything else is is, as I said, vanity. Everything else that it might be Christian in name only and have little bits of sprinkling or dusting over of the Word of God might be Christian in name only, but it's just spiritual fluff. It's filler. You know what I'm talking about? You look on the back of some hot dogs and see what's in there, you know? And, and it, you're hoping you got real pork or real beef or something, but it's like all stuff you don't know what in the world it is and 1% meat. You're like, what's the other 99%? It's filler, right? It's filler. In the church world in America, I, I can speak for the church in America, is filled. This is not every pastor, not every church, not every, every believer. But you know, to a wide extent, it's filled with spiritual fluff and, and filler. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it makes you feel full, but you're not full. You feel like something happened because you got goosebumps on your neck and, and you had a tear in your eye, so you leave thinking, but you never had God deal with your life. Never anything where there's a real change of heart where He wanted to do something in your life that He's wanting to do. And we came and got sprinkled over with a little Christian dust and left, and God wasn't able to do, it, do what He wanted to do. We need to long for and insist upon that spiritual meat. And the Lord... The Lord will lead us to Himself. We'll find mercy. We'll find grace to help in time of need. The Bible said He's going to always usher us right to the Lord. And everything else is, is worthless. Amen? It's, it's, just, it's worthless. It's vanity. It will, it's, it's, it begins in ruin and it ends in ruin. There's just nothing valuable from it at all. And I'm going to just close with this thought. You know, David, and you can turn with me in your Bibles. We'll have one more scripture that we're going to read. To 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Before we read it, just to, to cap, uh, kind of paraphrase the story, David, at this time of his life, he's, he's actually on the throne. He, God has made him king. He's taken it. Saul was killed in battle against the Philistines. And he's king now. And God's kind of given him a rest around uh, on all sides. He's not fighting right now. And he gets it in his mind that he wants to number his armies of Israel. I want to see how big our army is. So he sends out his man, uh, Joab, to go through and, and go through the whole land and you number and count out how many soldiers I have. I want to see how big and mighty my force is. And this actually was not pleasing to God. It was a sin because all through David's life, it didn't matter how big his army was. He just trusted in God. 
whether he had a few soldiers with him, whether it was just him and a sling and a sling and a stone killing the giant Goliath, he always just trusted in the Lord. And something was happening where he's getting relying, wanting to rely on his flesh. And we're not going to get into that part right now. But so he insists, and even Joab says, "Why do you want to do this, King? God, God's always taking care of you. You're, he's multiplied your armies. He's made them what they are." And but the king just demanded it. And so he sends out Joab to number the armies. Well, so God pronounces a judgment. As soon as it happens, David knows he's sinned. It's like he was convicted right away. This, this wasn't good. I shouldn't have done this. God forgive me. I mean, instantly, he knew. You ever done something like that? As soon as you did it, you're like, oh, this was bad. God forgive me. Okay, he forgives. But there were some consequences from it. And so God sends a prophet to, to speak to, to David and says... David, you got a choice of three punishments. This is kind of unusual. This is not the norm for, for an average believer. But God gives him three choices. Verse 12, either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed before your foes or your enemies while that the sword of their, your enemies overtake you or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. So this is the three choices. And David says, and here's our key today for this, this message. David said unto Gad, Gad was the prophet that came and spoke to him. I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. For very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. You know what he's saying? He's got these three choices. Three years of famine, oh, that's not good, okay? For my enemies to pursue me with the sword and overtake me and maybe my, my men and my people. I don't want uh, three months of that. I don't want that. The last one was to, to a pestilence, some kind of disease or plague where the angel of the Lord was going through Israel smiting people for three days. Now, as bad as that sounds, that's the only one that really had God in it at all. Three days fallen before the Lord, this pestilence. And so David says, I'm going to fall into the hands of the Lord because he knew something about God. He's merciful. So what am I saying this morning, y'all, that, that David found and that we found? God convicts us of our sin and God can, can deal severely with our sin, or our lives, whatever's going on in our lives but you're always going to find mercy. Don't be afraid to fall into the hands of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so David knew this. It's, this is a punishment. I've sinned. I deserve it. But I'm still going to choose to fall into God's hands. And while the angel was smiting people throughout Israel, uh, David runs out and he actually sees the angel where he is. And he and the angel's standing there with his sword drawn about to kill some more people. And, and David said, it's enough. It's enough. And the Lord stops the, the, the smiting. He stopped the killing. And David built an altar and offered a sacrifice to God and worshiped the Lord there. So he fell into God's hands. What am I saying? In closing this, y'all, don't, don't be afraid to, to come to the Lord and, and sit before Him. I'm talking about not just today in church. I'm talking about in your life. Don't be afraid to come to God 
and let Him search you out with a big Q-beam, a big spotlight, shining on your heart. Nothing else will get in there but the Lord, by His Spirit and by His Word. He can see every little speck of dust that's in your heart. Anything you're hiding, I'm going to hide this little part. God will never see it right here. He sees it. Let Him take the time to see it because not only does He see it, He'll show it to you so you'll know about it. And then he will, you fall into His hands and you find mercy like David did. Like I did when I was saved. Like you did. And how many times in your life have you found that mercy with God and the cleansing, the forgiving, the restoration, the strength? Let the healer heal. Amen? Let the Savior save. Let Him do it. Let Him do what He wants to do. And so I have to come and sit before the Lord and let Him deal thoroughly with my life. Do you can come up here. I'm closing with this Scripture. I'm just going to read it to you. The altars are open. You do what you want about social distancing and all that stuff. But I pray that you would take some time before we walk out of here and go to lunch today, that we would take some time, just some time, was deep place to worship the Lord and, and see what He would say to you. Let this become a new pattern, not just for today. To sit before the Lord. To take your time with the Lord. To don't just read the Scriptures and the chapters of the Bible you like. But to read everything, even the stuff that stings, even the stuff where God is convicting you, and let Him deal with you. The blood of Jesus, the mercy of God, it's unfailing. And He will always find forgiveness. And as these plain, I just want to read this Hosea 6 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, the Lord has torn, and He will heal us. So the same one that tore convicted us. He had torn and He will heal us. He had smitten. Maybe He spanked us. Okay? It's good to get a spanking from the Lord. He has smitten and He will bind us up. In other words, He's going to patch up the wound and, and make sure we're taken care of. Let Him deal with your heart and in your life. And Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name this morning, God. And Father, I thank You, Lord. What a wonderful Scripture. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. Thank You, Lord, that You can do that. Thank You that You desire to do that. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, God.